This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 106, and my guest this week is Jordan Olds, or as many of you may know him, Guarcinio Hall. He is the co creator of Two Minutes to Late Night, which definitely over the pandemic has come across your feed if you listen to any sort of uh, aggressive music. They've done an incredible job of inviting artists, uh, musicians, wrestlers from uh, from all walks of life, from, uh, from every corner of alternative music to play parts in uh, these really cool cover song renditions that they put together. Um, it's been a really great way to help artists over the pandemic uh, make a little side cash and, and have some fun doing it. Um, it started out as sort of like a, a variety, a playoff of a variety show uh, that they were doing live at St. Vitus in Brooklyn. Um, it first caught my attention because I saw that the house band was Mutoid Man, featured, uh, which features Stephen Brodsky, a uh, recent guest of the podcast, and uh, Ben Collar of the band Converge. And uh, I don't know, just it seemed like a lot of fun. And uh, Jordan always seemed like such a funny guy. I got to know him a bit. I've worked with Two Minutes to Late Night a couple times now, and this conversation was awesome. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. Also, I want to shout out that if you are new here, there is a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where uh, where, uh, subscribers were able to submit questions to Jordan and uh, he answered them. So that's uh, that's available right now. Uh, If you are interested in submitting questions to upcoming guests, head on over to the Patreon, see what we're doing over there. There's a Discord channel. You get bonus radio episodes. Um, There's just a lot going on. Uh, I leave for tour in about a month and uh, I'll be doing a tour journal as I usually do. Um, I don't know. Go check it out. That's patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Um, all right. Well, without further ado, here is my conversation with Jordan Garcinio Hall Olds. What's up, Jordan? How are you? I'm doing good, man. How it's you nice doing? to see you. I think it's my first time talking to you without makeup on. Like, seeing you without <laughs> it makeup. Might, it's jarring. It sh- it it sure is because like uh, I I feel like out out of the makeup. Like I have like a very I have like a boyish face, it's a little a, it, bit. It's a handsome face. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and there's no mustache. I was expecting there to be a mustache. Yeah, there was no mustache. I uh, I I shaved it uh, because uh, this month uh, of June, we're on two minutes. We're doing a series called uh, like just hardcore summer, where uh, we're having just bands from the scene cover their their peers or their idols, pretty much. So it's all kind of it's people from the genre covering the genre, and in right. all the videos. I'm not going to be playing an instrument. So I'm just moshing. And I feel like a gray sweatshirt, like it, the, the corpse paint in the, in the hardcore sweatshirt look is already a lot to handle. And I think you throw a mustache in there and it just doesn't <laughs> visually, it's just not working. So the mustache, right. the mustache is retired. Okay. <laughs> okay. I saw yeah, because uh, I mean, this is gonna air in a couple weeks, but I saw you guys just did the botch one, and and what a what a cast you had on that between Kurt Ballou playing guitar, you had Dimitri who was the original vocalist of Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else was on that? Uh, Andrew, the drummer of Rorschach. Oh, Andrew Jesus. Gormley, I think his last name is. He's what a ripper. Yeah. Uh, and then we had Ben Varellen, who is the brother Dave's. Dave, the singer of Botch's brother, <laughs> who has an incredible band called Helmsley. Right. Yeah. He uh, he also, I don't know if he's still doing the amp thing, because I remember he had a he had the Varellan amps. He has Varellan amps, which are are incredible. Yeah. They look like Dave literally, like, he looks like he pulled them out of the woods. They're totally. just made out of the most beautiful wood. Like, the logo's burned into the amp. Yeah. It's so unique. I wonder if it's because I think it was Clayton from my band had one of those and used it early on in Touche. And then one of our first tours, if not our first West Coast tour, his amp like busted. Something was wrong with it. And we literally took it to him and he like fixed it (laughs) for us. And for us, we were just like, holy shit, like this is the most Northwest thing, cool Northwest thing that could be happening right now. Yeah. Absolutely. He's a wizard, man. He looks like a wizard, like a like a handsome. He looks like a like if you saw like a young high school photo of like a of like a like a movie wizard. You're like that's exactly what he would look like. Um so uh it's interesting talking to you because you are known obviously for music but also for like the comedy side. So I figure we could kind of like bounce back and forth between the two and talk about first yeah. experiences between those two. Um so the first thing I mean I guess I'll ask you is um uh, when you were young like what was the first thing you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house by like parents or something but something that right. you connected with. I think my like I, I had parents who were like very concerned about like the parental advisory sticker. Sure. <laughs> so a lot. It took me a. It, it was like a a real hunt to be able to find something that I was allowed to listen to that felt like it was actually mine. I feel like when uh, I was in middle school, that was like the height of the Blink-182 and Eminem, uh, like every kid having those albums. And I would have to like make a PowerPoint presentation to my parents to be like, here are the reasons why I should be allowed to listen to this. And it, <laughs> it never worked. Uh, 
So I think the first thing that I found that was mine, like at the end of middle school, I really got into corn and I was finally at the age where I was allowed to buy their albums. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's like, you're like, parents, you're, you're making me a leper. Like everybody else yeah. gets to have this and like this, but I am not allowed. And what about, what about uh, clean versions? Cause that was also probably the era of clean versions. Was that even an option? It, you know what that I'm now remembering like that is the first corn album I was allowed to buy was untouchables. Okay. Uh, and I had to buy the edited version. Yeah. They were like, you can, you have to, I, which is maybe at that age, like it, I, I remember it being one of the most embarrassing feelings <laughs> going to a tower records and they, cause they don't have like edited versions, like on the rack. Like you have to go to a guy to ask, I have to ask like, can I get the one that doesn't have uh, like pee pee doo doo lyrics? <laughs> like, I forget. Does it just, does it make the sound of, did it make the sound effect? Did it, did the word just disappear? Did they replace it like a USA um, <laughs> version of like, you know, uh, an action movie that has hilarious replacements? It's sometimes, I feel like it depends because I think for, for like Limp Bizkit albums, which I absolutely had, uh, they did a DJ scratch because you there was DJ scratches yeah. in the songs, but on like a corner or probably a Blink One Eighty Two, they would just cut it out of the vocal stem, so Got just it. nothing would happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's incredible. Uh, also, yeah. I don't know if I realize this. I, I forgot to ask: are you, are you from New Jersey? Is that the is that hometown? My hometown uh, is. Is I, I I think it's technically Colorado. I was born Whoa. in Ro in okay. Rochester, New York, uh, and then my family moved when I was four. But the rest of my family is just like they're from Queens. Okay, so it's just everyone in my family is a character from the nanny. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> they all talk like Fran. Um, so it feels like. Queen, like specifically Queens, New York has just been a part of my life forever. My mom has uh, the accent will never leave her. Yeah. But yeah, I grew up in Colorado. What, and so where in Colorado? Uh, Denver. And, oh, like, straight up in Denver. Okay. And how long? Yeah. So you were there for like your whole childhood, teenage years, all that. And then you moved yep. back to New York? Yeah. I, uh, I, I, from like age four till I was like 19 years old. And then I uh, went to film school in at like SVA. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So did when you got out, was it, so when you got out of film school, that was the motivation. Like I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this. Like, uh, did you, did you fall into like that world in New York? So I, I I got into I think I took a film class in high school and I got really excited about it. Like film felt like a thing. I think because I was growing up not in New York and not in LA. I think to to like a lot of people that feels really unattainable. Sure. Um but after taking a class I got really excited about it. I started shooting you know uh like 
bands at local shows or whatever and BSing my way into the warp tour to like shoot whatever band. Um, and actually, uh, I was, I was like, I was filming a band, <laughs> like one of my favorite hardcore bands when I was 19. Uh, like, either, do you remember the band Bury Your Dead? I loved them when I was in high school. I still think they're a ton of fun, but I was filming, uh, like, you know, behind the scenes stuff for like, uh, like a like a a DVD pairing of, of like an upcoming album. So you and were working went, with them on it. Yeah, I okay. kind of like I just hit. I it was MySpace era, so I sure. hit them up and I they had a new. It was when they did they got their new singer Mike to, and Barrier Dead. I remember like they were a hardcore band that got famous for the DVD. Of their sing of the live DVD for the singer getting hit in the head with the with the bass peg, and okay. he had a bass peg stuck in his head for on song two, pulled yeah. it out, is bleeding yeah for the whole and then he finishes the set falls on a stretcher and they take him to the hospital. <laughs> Hard. He's like, we're filming the DVD, we gotta finish. Yeah, and that like that gained him a lot of points, and I remember hitting them up i'm like you guys have this new singer and you got famous for a dvd you should do another dvd to show everybody uh like how cool mike is and i i uh so i, I like i went on tour with them um for i like an entire summer and we went through new york and uh we had like a late load in so i literally went to like tour the college uh the school of visual arts like i ran from irving plaza looked at the school i was like you got y'all got cameras great let's do it and wow I, like applied to the school then damn so how long were you on tour with them I, like two months holy i shit. would say it was like a lot it was a long time um I they it, it went from them uh, doing like a co-headlining thing with I think Suicide Silence to them opening for Mudvayne and Corn. <laughs> that I mean to bring it back to Corn. That's a full circle moment. It's a full circle. Mo I, I was it. It felt really. I felt like I was at an age because I'm like 19 and uh, I'm I'm like full little stinker uh elitist opinions uh 19 year old uh-huh and i was like oh man like i gotta watch like it'll be really funny to watch like corn like ha new metal or whatever and then i watched corn and i was like that's w the coolest set i've ever <laughs> seen like they they're great yeah i still love sure. all these songs in my heart and they sound incredible yeah yeah uh what percentage of you doing that was was you bullshitting your way into being a part of that? Like one hundred percent. I had I th I had like no credits. I was just trying to, I was just trying to build some kind of uh, resume. Because they're myself. a Florida band, right? They're I think they're Boston. Are they? Oh my yeah. god! It's, I think I assumed that they were florida for are they on eulogy they were on they're on victory, victory. 
Right. They were a victory band. God, why did why did I pin them as Florida? Sorry. They have <laughs> they have like you, you know, they have they are Boston. Drop sure. B. They have like drop B tuning. They have yeah. like flat brim hat energy, which yeah. matches Florida. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, damn. So that's incredible. So you were, were you living in Denver when you met up with them or were you at that point already in New York? And then you were, then you kind of like figured your way in. I was in Denver at okay. the time, but sure. I kind of knew that I needed to go to, I, I like, if I was going to do film, Seriously, like I was like, I got to be in like a New York or an L.A. How stressed were your parents? They were they were melting down (laughs) the whole time. They're like, "Ah, he's gone for two months with 28 year old men like they're 10 years older. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, And also, I'm sure there's that element of like. Now he's going on big rock tours. The corn, like there's going to be drugs. There's mm-hmm. gonna... uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, I, I think I was, I think I lied to my parents and were like, no, they're like a, uh, I was like, they're a straight edge band. They're a straight edge band. So they don't do drugs. Uh-huh. Um, but they, they are not. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, it was a, a really wild first touring experience that to this day, that is the only long tour I've ever done. Okay. Interesting. Uh, or been a part of. And yeah. Did you, were you welcomed into it? Like, did you feel like you were a part of the team or was it hard for you to sort of like fit in? You feel, cause that's, I mean, like for someone who's, I, I'm just speaking from an experience of like, were like touche for example is a very tight unit and anytime there's like someone who come who comes into the fold that we don't really know it there's always like that period of adjustment you know what i'm saying like do you feel like you you fit in pretty pretty quickly with them or was it tough to sort of find your footing i by the end at the first it was really rough because i i'm like i i guess i would i 100 was not prepared uh like anxiety wise to handle like like i had never met like a band that wasn't like just like a local band like that my friends were in or whatever like i so i'm just meeting people i'm like oh my god idols or whatever yeah and i think mike the singer who i talked to about like i gave him the pitch like you guys need a new dvd to like uh to to sell to the audience he was like you are right he did not tell the rest of the band that they were doing this it was just him and victory records that knew that i was gonna be on the road with them oh no so i'm meeting everyone's just like okay so there's just a kid who's gonna be filming stuff this whole time they got they eventually were like wait this rules we get to like every cool thing like did you see that thing i did i like spun my guitar, you got that right like yeah yeah <laughs> they eventually got on board but at first it's just like they're like this is a child this sure. is a literal child like i i i'm I, like this is also 2000 uh this is like 2008 yeah so the type of like i'm just out of high school so i'm like i have like swoopy like uh-huh. scene kid 2005 hair I'm just like I I have I have girl jeans. It is a whole 
it is a vibe yeah that they're adjusting to and yeah i i it was it was 100 percent just being thrown into the deep end was it a van tour so this is the weird <laughs> it starts as a van tour and it eventually uh apparently the year prior they do a tour with that band hell yeah that vinnie paul right. played drums in yes and they befriend vinnie paul and he loans them his strip club bus and takes the pole out of it so we're literally touring in a strip club Vinny a Vinny Paul strip club so it just looks like a Friday's decorated with kiss memorabilia <laughs> and the poles out and everyone has a bunk except for me I'm sleeping and I slept for two months like in the lounge behind that was gonna be my question I was gonna be like so so where did they toss you because that's yeah front lounge front lounge okay <laughs> next to the like I've like my feet are under the little table uh-huh. that can stick out for yeah for whatever. There's but, a respect that you're gained though being adaptable. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the the not the just uh, I'm gonna make it work. I'm not gonna complain. I'm just happy to be here. Kind of energy for sure. And that's I uh, that that is how uh, like it grew. Like eventually, like. We were do- we were doing bits on the road. It like the DVD itself that we I was going to ask did, never came big, out. Oh, that was my big question. Did it ever come out? It did not. They got dropped from Victory. Oh. Uh, like their their album came out, and then they immediately got in a fight with uh, like I'm not going to name anybody, but just sure. the upper folks of of Victory. If you yep. know, you know. Yep. But um they uh like they get in a disagreement, they get dropped, they never put out the uh like accompanying DVD mm. thing. Um so that never existed, but I made like one of the the music videos for the for the album and I did like a couple other smaller things for victory after that while i was trying to go to school (laughs) had you edited all the stuff like was there a dvd ready to go or was it just you had so much footage you just haven't put together yet yeah i just have like terabytes of stuff and i'm just like uh i'm like i'm gonna piece together this live footage and it was like it was essentially my goal for the dvd was like you know i wanted to make a piece like about new singers to bands because that's the i feel like at the time especially it was really hard for people to get over uh like any new singer like especially in a hardcore adjacent band they just they don't like it so i wanted to dive into like kind of why and and that was um, kind of an era too because you had like kill switch you had norma jean probably had like five different singers by that point um yep there was, uh, I mean, Dillinger, obviously, but that was Dillinger. a little earlier. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I just, and it felt like especially with, you, you know, a band like Barrier Dead. Like, if you were into them, you were, you were intense about it, especially because of, I feel like because of that, like, 
you can't replace Matt. He finished the whole show covered in blood. Like his skull was cracked. Yeah. You can't replace that energy. And meanwhile, like I, I, I felt like a lot of people were like, Mike doesn't sound as good. It doesn't sound the same. And I'm like, he sounds exactly <laughs> like Matt when he wants to. And he can see like they're both. I love Matt. Great dude. Like yeah. rocks. Like, uh, but I was like, I, everybody's it's, it's, People are mad about this because of the concept that it isn't the the other guy. It doesn't. Totally. I was like, there's just there's bullshit. It's a little gatekeepy yeah. for the artist, which is a strange thing to me. So that was kind of what I wanted to get out of it. Um, we had two months of footage to try to 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 dig through to try to pull it together, but like, yeah, that never. It was too much footage for me to dig through like on my own time. And I had started going to school. And so that I think that that footage is just sitting somewhere on hard drives in my closet. I was about to ask, does that footage currently feel like a burden to you? A little bit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I would. I, it would haunt me a little bit. It, it would be like, I don't want to throw this away because it's obviously a lot of work. Right. But I know it's never going to be edited to turn into something. Yeah. So that's also, tough. It's also like, dude, it's it's 2008. Like, it's a weird, it's just like a a weird time. Like, we all look weird. Totally. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the era of just like d- regular dudes wearing Hugh Jackman Wolverine jackets with no collar. Just like that. <laughs> that was like, there was two years where uh, no motorcycle jackets. It was just that like uh-huh. collarless jacket and it's just <laughs> no one wants it there if, if i i've gotten a couple of texts from the guys in the in the band going like did you ever cut together like any of this footage uh and i i i think one time in like in like 2010 i like looked at some of it and i'm like these guys are like in affliction t-shirts. They don't want to see this. Like they right. don't want to remember that they looked like this at a period. Like, yeah. It's tough. <laughs> even. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, so let's, let's bounce over to, uh, to like comedy stuff. Cause obviously what, you know, so much of what you do is, is, you know, comedy based. Uh, what about when you were young connecting with comedy? Was there anything in particular that sparked that? I think, for like I was a 90s kid so I think I just like I I connected with probably like a Robin Williams I would okay. say is yeah. like you know we kids of my uh, like I'm 33 and I think that a lot of uh like growing up in the 90s like is like a Robin Williams Jim Carrey kind of energy just like really manic stuff is is kind of the starting point with you liking silly people yeah i would say and then Uh, that kind of grew into like you know um me loving different uh stand-ups just watching comedy central every day yeah watching premium blends and whatnot yeah because i remember they used to have all those great stand-up specials that were like 30 minutes and yeah. you memorize all the bits because you've seen those episodes re-air a hundred times. Um, yeah, I was just listening to an episode of like a, a a movie show, a movie podcast that I like where they were talking about the 90s comedian, like um, movie star comedians that kind of just like ran 
everything for a period where it was like Mike Myers, Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Adam Sandler. But then I didn't, I didn't think to add Robin Williams in that. But that's absolutely true. Is was your household also kind of strict about like what comedy stuff you were watching as well? Because I mean, Robin Williams fits a little more into like the more wholesome family style with like you know Mrs. Doubtfire things like that. A hundred. You know what you'd think. Uh, that would be the case but for some reason just like they were my parents were strict about music but not movies I remember I I was 11 years old and my dad was like um all right you're probably old enough to watch uh Midnight Cowboy and and A Clockwork Orange and I'm just like sure I'm like I whatever I want to watch I want to watch everything and then I'm just like watching movies about like decaying men or like you know a uh like uh a, like a like a cassavetes movie i'm like i don't know what it feels like to be divorced how what am i getting from this at 11 but like um it, no, i mean that's 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 incredible i mean I, that sounds like it was probably the biggest influence for you to want to do film school stuff definitely i think that uh, like i feel like having that like this was the art connection that like i i was like that i was allowed to participate in so i felt like i could start absorbing it and then i just wanted to watch i was a i want to see every movie yeah all of them yeah whatever was there a good video store in denver that you could rely on for that stuff you know it was um it was uh, the same place that I would uh, go to for uh, music most of the time. Like we had, we had Sam Goodies and Tower Records, and even like uh, like a like a nice vinyl store that I never really yeah. got to participate in called like Wax Tracks. Yeah, um, it's great, but I didn't have like records at that age. Sure, but there was a used like CD movie shop called second spin that like just it priced everything like at like five dollars so i would just go buy mountains of cds and dvds there um who were your go-to directors like did you have someone that you really fell into i i at that age my favorite director was uh like robert rodriguez because i I feel like he was the at 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 that era like he was shown up as like the scrappy filmmaker who's like just make the movie however you can. I read this like um interview with Roger Ebert where he was talking about how he spent a night in like a hotel lobby with Robert Rodriguez and Rodriguez is explaining how in the future of filmmaking like you won't need lights like you d- put it in digitally. Like if you want a light on the left side, you just fucking put a light there. And this is like right when Sid and City is going to come out. And Roger Ebert is like, this guy's a maniac. <laughs> like, what's he talking about? And yeah. like now that is the it is for uh, for better and mostly worse. That is the future of movies right now. Sure. Yeah. But. He felt like uh, I love like without Robert Rodriguez, I don't find, you know, my like my like all time favorite guys like a John Carpenter, like a 
the guys who just whatever the budget is or whatever they got, they like figure out how to like get the movie done. And I, I kind of just, I love that type of artist. I mean, from dusk till dawn, I feel like when you see that at a certain age, especially because it has everything (laughs) that you want in a movie, um, it's, it also is like the definition of a movie that would be really hard to make these days to be in a theatrical movie. Like that's a straight to stream movie these days. Totally. And it just, it, it's so, uh, perfectly encapsulates like what could go in a movie theater in the nineties. And it was so fun, <laughs> you know, like it, like the plot on paper is insane. It's absolutely insane, but it is the best ride ever. I, I love it. I love, like, I love like a gimmick like that. Like surprise, we're yeah. a whole different other type of movie. I, I think if you can pull something like that off, it's, Fun. I have not watched that movie since I was like 17 years old. So oh I have rips. no idea what it I'm going to think. Is this a really rip? I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do it, man. Hell yeah. You absolutely should. You absolutely should. I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, 30 minutes into the movie, it becomes a completely different movie, but that's fine. It's yeah. okay. It's got to rock still. It's got to yeah. be fun. It really I, is. It's George Clooney also being a, a version of Clooney that you don't see ever again. He's I a for- bad guy, but he's sexy bad guy. <laughs> I forgot it's George Clooney with a neck tribal tattoo. I forgot. About that. Oh, it's not even neck, baby. That when he takes a shirt off later and it's like all it's like one big piece. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's just like he's got a Godsmack logo all over his body. <laughs> I love that. Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. So uh, let's bounce back over to music. So you when did you start playing guitar? And is guitar your first instrument? Guitar is my first instrument i started playing it in eighth grade like i think in in my in like eighth grade is the year that i was just like hey like i told my i told my parents i I like brought home i remember i brought home like a bottle of hair dye like blue hair dye and i was like here's the deal (laughs) i i like i'm gonna dye my hair and i'm gonna start like playing uh guitar like i i can't like (laughs) i can't just like listen to the rolling stones until i'm dead or whatever (laughs) like i got i gotta do like my own thing so like i um i'm going upstairs to to dye my hair in the bathtub and my mom was like like no like don't do that you're gonna ruin everything let me like help you and then she like brought me to her like (laughs) like like hair salon that she goes to that feels like a hair salon in Queens so that they could help me like bleach my hair and get it. It was just like a moment of acceptance. And Aww. then like it was a I <laughs> it, 
it's a hilarious uh period because right after that like i like went to sears or something and bought like the the like regular like i mowed lawns and bought like the the bc rich that comes with the the little amp at oh, like right. a at like not a, built in but like a like a little or is it yeah, built like in? A, yeah it was like a little crate okay uh that had like batteries in it or whatever yeah. um and then I started, uh, like, I was like, I'm just going to, like, learn the Black Album or whatever. Sure. Did you take lessons or? Yeah, I took, I, I took them for a little while. But I, um, I, I'm like, I, I think I was just too ADD for them. Sure. Like, I, like, wanted to, my teacher was like, let me, like, show you how to play guitar like let's learn the blues or whatever and i'm like okay but how about this at the gates riff though <laughs> like what if we did this and he's like um okay um yeah like teaching me slaughter of the soul stuff like on a ho- on his hollow body i'll never forget like i <laughs> i feel so bad well that's incredible that the, the teacher like stuck with you know actually you know uh entertained you doing that because oftentimes yeah. it's like no you're gonna learn the g chord and then you're gonna just you're gonna practice these couple little scales and uh then i'm gonna teach you how to read music mm-hmm. but uh it, it sounds like he was adaptable to where he he was down to, <laughs> to show you what you actually wanted to play yeah he was like i think he realized like the only way that this kid will also learn how to play pride and joy by stevie ray Vaughan is if i also like explain how a draw how like different tunings work and like and show him this this little arpeggio or whatever um, this like basic one did you did you naturally have an ear for picking up how to play songs because obviously you know two minutes late night is very well known for <laughs> covers obviously um did that stuff come naturally to you or did it take time were you reading tabs uh, I would, I definitely, I started reading tabs. Like I, I was a like, uh, poorly skateboard to Seven Eleven, buy the guitar world and premier guitar and then learn whatever is in the back of it. I'm learning riffs to like cradle of filth songs that I've never heard before. <laughs> like I'm just, whatever it is, I'm trying right. to like, I just want to try to figure out what the riff is. And I think. I think the the ear for stuff kind of like this is going to sound so insane uh, came from having a lot of different stop start bands in 2005. I've only like ever had I've only ever had bands that like got together, wrote some songs, played three shows and then broke up immediately. That's the, the whole trajectory but each one of those bands in high school wanted to do a big thing in this era was like playing a like a metal or hardcore version of like a movie or TV show theme as your like stage walkout music. Like you mm-hmm. play it for yourself. Yep. And so <laughs> it was like my job to like figure out like, all right, how are we going to do the Terminator theme? <laughs> like theme? How are we going to do Power Rangers? Like what? Like Pokemon? Whatever. Like whatever silly. Uh, like 
so I think that's like my first footing of like, here's how this thing would sound with like guitar distortion. I think that that was how right. it kind of began. Did you, uh, did you ever listen to that band Graph Orlock? Were you ever familiar with Graph Orlock? No, I don't know uh, them. Oh, okay. Just be, their whole thing. Um, they're, they're from here in LA, but uh, they go, they call themselves cinema grind. So <laughs> all of their, like they're the epitome of like, you know, movie samples and songs, but yes. like all of the songs are also about the movies and like they will come out or end a set with like the Jurassic Park theme, but done metal. You know what I'm yes. saying? Oh yeah, my God. That, 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 that would have been my shit. <laughs> I was gonna say that, that's like the epitome of, I think everything that you were maybe striving for in 2006, 2005. Yeah. It's just, I, I remember, uh movie sample stuff i i think i discovered through um like 18 visions oh sure did like the like vanity is just like it's back to the future and then <laughs> like a dissonant yeah. riff um uh but like I, I i it felt like a rite of passage like to like play a a like a theme song that everyone loves from the 90s mm-hmm. as you as you like go on stage like every every band was was doing it in my little hometown uh it's funny thinking about the guitar worlds and stuff like that because i was in the same boat as you uh trying to learn because it was even before i think like the internet had a lot of tap at least when i was playing when i was first starting to play guitar like i don't think i was going to the internet for tablisher this would have been you know the very like late 90s or something but um, I specifically remember always going to the grocery store and either ripping out the tabs from the back and like stealing them <laughs> or or buying it. But I but I, I'm just now remembering like how funny it was the because it always be like five, four or five songs that are in the back. But yeah. it was always like the biggest mix of genres. So you'd be like, cool, I could learn Santana. REM, Black yeah. Sabbath, um, or, you know, uh, I don't even know what else, but Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> just like, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It, I, it was like Chevelle. And then there would be like, I remember there would be like one actual like metal riff. Like, uh-huh. th- like I, it felt like for an entire year, uh, like, um, Matt and John from the band Shadows Fall had the riffs in the back of every guitar magazine. Wow. And I I loved Shadows Fall. I was in uh, Shadows Fall. I was a overcast like guy. I loved I loved it. So I was, you know, I I was stoked. That's why I was like I got to like yeah. I got to like sk- I'm going to I'll I'll skip over, you know, learning bowling for soup but i i want to i want to learn all the all the nonsense i want to i want to shred so what what tell me about your first band what was your first band man i do i the problem i can't even like remember we never actually picked like a name i the first band i had was just i had like a friend in in like uh, middle school who was like getting me into like I was just a thrash metal kid I was just like all of Megadeth Metallica give me all of it uh like after after leaving new metal it was just thrash metal and 
the kid who was showing me like you know uh the the emo that everyone was into like a taken back sunday but also converge and whatever like i was like this guy's just got he's got his finger on the pulse he knows what's going on yeah uh, and uh, we should start a band together and he was he was uh, like a guy who just like never wanted to show me lyrics or sing in front of me ever so i built like an entire band and like we would write music together and we're like, we have no idea what this guy is going to sing or do over yeah. this. And I remember we were in like a battle of the bands. Um, I, and I, I was like, I don't even know what name he's submitted to, like, to them. I think I thought, like I told my friends when we were playing, like, I think we're called the violence, but I have no idea. Um, <laughs> They and then we go to play the show. My like distortion pedal, like my boss, like uh, like O2 goes out in the first song. I finished the whole set playing st like clean out of a solid state, like line, which is genuinely fire. the best tone. The best, it is. Oh my god, it's what they strive for. <laughs> You actually have to work to get that tone. You have to have an O2 die <laughs> to achieve this tone. It was, I, I was like, I was embarrassed at first, but then after a while I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. So did he sing? He just screamed the okay. whole time. He was just doing a brutal scream. I was like, I have no idea yeah. what these lyrics are. I don't know. What, I was like, it sounds sounds like one of these bands to me what like yeah. so i don't i can kind of hear it in the monitor whatever uh so that was your first show i'm assuming too that you ever played yep and it's a battle of the bands is it at a school uh no it was at the bluebird in oh wow ever, that's a legitimate venue it was a legit venue i was i was terrified yeah yeah terrified uh do you remember the do you remember the night pretty well sounds like you do i remember i <laughs> I I kind of I don't remember any other band but like the band that Denver had for a while like ne right nowadays Denver is like a mecca for doom metal and like IPA like primitive man is unbelievable. Oh yeah, there's a lot of great like youth attacky style great punk hardcore coming out of there for sure. Convulse like, records, all that. Incredible stuff. Uh but at the time we didn't we like kind of didn't have anybody. We ha I didn't know about like mad ball hardcore until later like we had one band who was like a gray sweatshirt varsity font band but everything else was like you know every other band sounded like the fray or whatever right and then we had havoc who um are a thrash metal band that still exists right now okay they started out going like we're gonna play stuff that sounds like Metallica and they're like, I, and I, I have like, it warms my heart a little bit that they're still at it and they're doing pretty good. Okay. Because nice. they're like my age. And I remember seeing they're at this battle of the bands with me and I saw them and I was like, man, why can't we be doing that? Like, like <laughs> it's, so did they, it sucks did they, I'm assuming you did not win. Fred. Hard. <laughs> 
I don't even know if we went because I remember everyone else in the band was really pissed and we left. <laughs> like, oh, no. We thanked everybody. And then we they were just like, let's just get out of here. Oh, and I was like, damn, right. damn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to think about Denver bands, especially in that era. And the way you described your style and hairstyle, I wondered if you because there was, wasn't fear before the March of Flames. Fear before. Yeah, they, they were, were there. They were from there and they felt like our they felt like our guys. Like for me, I'm like, this is because I hadn't I hadn't heard, you know, speaking of uh, of botch with the botch cover, like I hadn't heard botch yet, you know, and that's what botch is the biggest influence on that band. Totally. So to me, I'm like, these are our guys. This is our converge. We got one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I, I never I, I've never met any of those guys i just saw them live and i was like i i they were like my hometown sports team i was like that's our hardcore band we got go get them guys <laughs> you get that you get that every time i die tour you go for it yeah yeah uh and their artwork was also so of the time too especially the the record co- i can't art damage right art da- yeah yeah just very like Blood brothers era artwork too it's just like very time and place yeah, Blood Brothers were were like huge. Every band in the scene, like Fear Before knew who Botch was. And so they were like, we're going to do like Botch adjacent business and like try to get weird. Every other band in my town was like Micro Korg, Bro- Blood Brothers, like Sass to the, <laughs> like, sass to the Max. Sass to the Max. Neon green shirt, sideways print, like you know, of all the things, of all the things that we've tried to have come back nostalgia. Why? <laughs> I'm so glad that no one's doing the side print. The side print was a bad look. It it doesn't. It just doesn't work with the shape of a body no. in a way that's flattering. It's no. it was really nuts. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, trying to be different, but my god. Yeah, no one's uh, between between that and like the military hat. Those are the two things that haven't <laughs> that haven't fully come back yet. But boy, did boy was it a thing. Boy was yeah. it a thing. When I first learned of two minutes to late night, I think it was. I, I think I first caught wind of it because of Ben Collar's involvement with like the Mutoid Man as like the house band. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was one of the first episodes, a good friend of mine, Luke Schwartz, did like a small bit piece. Like, yeah, he, did, he was a part of something with you guys. And I couldn't remember what the connection was on how that worked, because he was definitely going for it in the comedy world. So I didn't know what that connection was, if it was like UCB related or or how that was. He so. I think what happened is how we know Luke is he played a character on our show called Sammy Flavar, which is just we just had like a bit the sketch where he just like came on and was just like trying to sell hot sauce. That's right. And he was just drinking it like it was Gatorade. Right. Um, <laughs> and he had it was my favorite part about that bit is Luke does not know who Sammy Hagar is. So he's just <laughs> made up a guy. And is saying song titles with the wrong inflection, like quoting Sammy Hagar, but doesn't know why. <laughs> and so I love that bit. That's incredible. That's it's so funny. 
That's so good. So, uh, is it strange, not strange, but like, I feel like because of the pandemic, people really learned what two minutes to late night was and got the, you know, like they think of it most likely as, as a source for watching people that they are fans of play covers. Right. Yeah. But, um, do you think a lot of people realize that it did start as like this show that was like at it was the same Vitus, right? Yeah, it was. And a, it was kind of like a it was like a a variety hour sort of show. <laughs> yeah, you know. And I mean, yeah. how many of those did you guys end up doing before you couldn't anymore? Because I felt like it was was it like over ten? Was it twenty? We did. I think we've technically did. We did like a like like. Eight to ten, I can't remember right now. Yeah. I think it was like we did like an eight episode prop like we did a pilot, then we tried like a a second episode to like flush out some stuff, and then we did we started our Patreon to fund like paying all of our like camera people and the performers so so we could do like a full season of 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 the show. Right. Uh, so we it's like eight or ten. It's either we did six episodes on the patreon and then the two pilots or or so eight, i don't know what did the show ever because I, I it's so fuzzy to me now also i feel like we all agree that the pandemic has melted our memories completely but like did yeah. it <laughs> was a plan for it to go to like a tv station and did it go to any sort of networky stuff or was it a youtube thing i can't remember so initially we made it uh like i <laughs> i was trying to make it uh for the like network that i was working i was working at like a media website i don't i'm i'm just not gonna name them because i don't know if it's complicated if i do that yeah um but i was working there i pitched it um i pitched i came up with the idea for the show uh like i've i've talked about this a couple of times it was originally a music video idea that i had there was a doom metal band in Brooklyn called Godmaker and all they wanted me to make a music video because we became friendly and they were like I they gave me their single and it was nine minutes long like they're all their songs are nine minutes they're great but they're long yeah and they were like we don't have we just want to do like a performance video and I was like all right how what can I do to make myself interested in making a nine minute performance video and I was like oh um, like Drew and I were roommates, the co-creator of Two Minutes and I were roommates, and we were going on like a deep dive of watching Rob Zombie playing on 90s late night shows because we yeah. thought it was so funny to hear David Letterman go like, ladies and gentlemen, their new album is called La Sexorcisto White Zombie. Like, it's like so funny. <laughs> right. Um uh, and they're all VHSy and warped and fucked up. And I was like, oh, that would be a fun way to do this music video is we make it look like it's an old VHS rip of like a recording of a talk show. And it's a guy like introducing them and we can just have fun making it look like VHS. And then yeah. I was like, oh, it'd be fun if like the talk show host had like corpse paint on. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, I just kind of want to make this actual show yeah and i never made their music video and i feel bad they're a really good band uh <laughs> but 
uh, I pitched it at the network I was uh, I was working at, and uh, they were like, "This sounds cool. Uh, can you shoot like a proof of concept with it?" And originally, I'm I wasn't even the host of it. Oh wow! Like, okay, it was just going to be me and Drew behind the camera putting it together, and you know we got uh, I we got mutoid man involved. And because of that, I think Ben Wyman from Dillinger escape plan was game to be like our Guinea pig, <laughs> uh, as the first guest. And it came, it came time for us to like shoot the pilot and our original, uh, it was originally going to be hosted by comedian Dave Hill, who we love dearly. If you, Dave Hill is one of the the funniest voices in New York comedy. If you don't know him, okay. um, but he last minute he was like, um, I got called in by E to go interview uh, Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway about the intern. I kind of <laughs> got to go do this, and we were like, we get it, man. Yeah. So, I like I knew all the lines. Uh, that we had written for okay. me and Nick, or all the planned jokes. So I was like, um, like my partner at the time, like she was doing the makeup. So I was like, I'll just, I'll be the the host of the pilot. And after we had shot it, and we were discussing, we were going through making various edits at the network. Everyone <laughs> at the top of the network got fired, and we didn't know what to do with this thing. And so we uh, we made a little plan that looks like, all right, well, let's try uh, just releasing it out onto the into the YouTube world. And we came up with like a bit um, to like get a little bit of attention to like announce that the show is going to exist. So we had Mutoid Man uh, do a show. Do you know what a showtime is on the subway? Are you aware of that? I'm assuming it's where people it's where people just perform on the subway, right? Is that they go showtime, everybody showtime. And if you're going across a long bridge, like they'll put a song on and they'll like dance or sing a song. And yeah. so we put Mutoid Man on the subway and they did like a heavy version with like little battery amps of She's a Lady. Um and uh that got us like just a little bit of attention at the at the top. Yeah. Uh, Mutual friend Dan Ozzy wrote it up, and I think like that's the first little push that we got. And oh, then the okay. pilot dropped, and people were like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's cool that you became host out of desperate circumstance, and that you were <laughs> able to sort of step into their shoes because you, I mean, you come off as a complete natural at this. You hey, know, thank you, man. Uh, was it terrifying for you doing it that first time? Yes, I think, well, the first time, um, it was, it, I think it was okay. Cause it was just, it was to an empty room. We mm. were just like, we had no, it was Vitus was like, you can shoot here during the day, but get the fuck out of here before we have show. You got to be out of here before five. And we were yeah. like, cool. So we were just there at like nine in the morning trying to figure out like how the show works. Like we tried tons of stuff, you know, 
the original script had, was just stuffed with bits. Like we we had like daily show style bits where it's like, you know, a picture in the corner and go and like fake like commentary. With, yeah, yeah. Yeah, commentary like a I remember like a like a there was like a whole bit about like a metal core like metalcore being illegal at a certain venue in like Minnesota. It was weird. It <laughs> we immediately realized like we can't even remember we were like we can't do this because we won't be able to stay on top of like the news, news it'll be old news yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 that makes sense um what was how did you end up meeting the mutoid man guys like how did that all come together so <laughs> i it feel like it feels like uh i'm gonna out myself as like a poser but i did not know i did not know cave-in before mutoid man like i they're they're from a gen i now love them yeah but they were from a generation uh before me um so my first introduction to that to them is just seeing them open for somebody at saint vitus i did not know what mutoid man was and i just i just see three guys with Muppet level charisma, Steve Brodsky playing guitar and singing perfectly, but he looks like he's being electrocuted. He's ramming his head into the wall. He's it, it was truly chaotic. Um, mostly he was just playing guitar the way that I had always wanted to play guitar. I feel like a lot of people feel that way when you watch Steve Brodsky do his thing. And, um, I was like looking them up and I saw that Steve Brodsky like had a website and he offered guitar lessons at the time, or at least his website said that he was. (laughs) So I wanted to, I had been doing stand up for a while. Like after, after like college, I like, you know, I like, I wasn't doing a lot of exciting like film work. So I was just, doing stand-up on the side. I kind of hadn't been playing music. And I was like, I kind of want to... That that show just made me want to, like, learn again and get better. So I hit him up for... I was like, oh, do you still give guitar lessons? And he was like, no, but do you want to... <laughs> like, I was... I, I And so we just started doing, like, little weekly lessons. Like, after work at the at the network like he gave lessons like down the street. So I would leave work, go and, you know, he would like, uh, teach me like new scales and all this stuff. And then we would just kind of talk afterwards. Um, and I feel like I would just like, I inevitably was always trying to pitch music stuff at work. So I was like, you know, I I think I told him about the two minutes to late night idea. Um, and he was like, you got to meet my like bassist, Nick. He's one of like the funniest people in the world. Um, and he can like, you know, he can like play bass in your house. Originally, the idea was just Nick as a part of it. But okay. as we started to flush out the idea, like Ben and Steve were like, this is cool. Can we like, can we play on the show? I was like, yeah, I was too nervous to ask you guys. You should play in the show. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, they, I, yeah. I remember watch. I mean, I remember watching the episodes and the, uh, 
like the back and forth between you and them just was like great comic timing for <laughs> sure. And I, I feel like describing them as Muppets is like completely accurate, you know, completely yeah. accurate. And also, it's like between Steve and Ben, uh, like two of the most disgustingly talented people ever. I, I, I'm assuming Nick <laughs> is also very talented as well. But I mean, to keep up with playing bass with all of the shit that they're doing, it's crazy. But like, it's just crazy. watching those two just goof around. You're like, are you kidding me? It it's not fair. No. It's truly not fair how talented like every music cue is random except for when the guest comes up. Uh-huh. Like uh like they like pick like we should play one of their songs or something adjacent to them when they come on stage. But everything else is just like Steve giving them a very quick cue or like we're playing this riff and then they go or they're just like instinctually like they just are vibing with each other and making very funny sounds on their (laughs) own like and then like I think in the pilot like Steve did like one line where he was he just screamed it and didn't tell us and we were like that's the only way Steve talks now. We like cut him out of the rest of the pilot because we were like, Steve's can only scream. That's his <laughs> voice forever. Um, so when, you know, obviously like pandemic stuff happens, like how quickly did you all come to get, or I guess you and Drew come together and say like, all right, we gotta, you know, we have to adapt. Like, what can we do? Let's start figuring out how to do covers and bring in other artists and stuff like that like like how quickly did that become the way to go so i you know the weird part about it is um because we were we did the season of two minutes and we had like a couple of festival day like we would our our plan at that point was just to shop the show around and do some festival spots. We're like, we'll just every year we'll do Psycho Vegas. Every year we'll do Fest in Florida, and you know we'll just k- kind of figure it out after that. Um, the bedroom cover idea actually happened in February uh, because it was a way we uh, like uh, the second guest of the show was supposed to be Chelsea Wolf. Like she has wanted to be on the show forever, but she's so busy all the time. She's got, she's on everyone's album, rightfully so, because she's so talented. She's got her own, she's got her own projects, another band. You know, I'm assuming that she has been asked to do movies like this movie that she, she did X as a score and it just came out. So that's just years of work in the making probably. Um, she had just, I remember that like we wrote this cover of crazy train for her. Cause she wanted, she at, she was like, I would love to come on the show and sing crazy train. Uh, and I was like, that sounds weird as shit. Let's do it. And Steve and I had kind of tossed a couple of ideas back and forth. And then I built the logic project for it. And I was like, maybe we can do a thing where we can just try recording everything at home just so we can get this Chelsea Wolf cover done. 
And our first trial of it was a cover of Weird Al. <laughs> we did the Dare to Be Stupid cover uh, with Ben and Mi- with Ben from Chemist and Mitch from Thou as like kind of a test run. And then we had started working on the Chelsea Wolf one right when like the pandemic happened. And then I, it just, you know, like day, like two or three of it, there's just countless posts of our friends or just bands that we love talking about how they're like, we're, we've had to cancel everything. Everyone had a GoFundMe to like help get their gear home or like, you know, Lingua Ignota like had needed to have a surgery. There was just, it was just chaos. So we were like, we still have this Patreon that, you know, is right now just supporting a podcast. What if we pivoted this to just like, we all at the time we all had day jobs and we were like, we can use the Patreon to pay, to like give a little bit of money to musicians to do a cover song so that they can have some kind of income in a scary time and also a little bit of a distraction from totally. whatever like from the world and also honestly the pre- like a cover song that doesn't sound exactly like the original cover song is it's just like a little bit it's it solves a little bit of that like creative itch i think without yeah. you feeling like you have the pressure to have to write something especially in a in a time where i think i heard from a lot of people they were like it's hard to write right now cuz it feels like we're all having the same experience mm-hmm. like how do we how do i have a fresh take on this and it's like well this is a Tom Petty song that has drop tuning. You want to just goof around a little bit? <laughs> um, it's cool that you you genuinely seem like you were able to incorporate all of the things that you've, you know, had been sort of uh, influenced by, excited by since your childhood, like into this thing you are doing now, which is super awesome to see, which I feel like is a good segue to then ask, you know, when the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? I think it's got to be just weirdly hiding behind my own desk during the Purple Rain performance with Steve, John Baisley, uh, Emily Lee, like, we're under Drew and I are under a desk. Um, the audience is just our friends at this point. There's no like public audience. It wasn't one of those episodes yet. Um, <clears throat> but there's just we had like a lot of fun. Like it was that's the it, it like it had just like this purple rain is playing, and like we had just seen like our friend Nicole be like uh thin liz as like a yoga instructor with cigarettes or whatever we had seen luke um be sammy flavar all these dumb characters like we had so many dumb jokes in the second episode it's a mess but like it just that felt like okay we we did it this is an episode this is a version of the show that we made entirely for ourselves with all this like there's no like network safe version of something that we're doing. It's just our dumb humor 
recovering prints, uh, like with with ba- like John Basley and Mutoid Man are playing together. Like this is insane, and I'm just under a desk with my like best friend, and we're about to pop up and sing with them. So I think like that's that's probably the moment where I'm like, this is this is the thing. Yeah, like, this is a thing that we're gonna keep doing, and it feels special. And yeah, I just want uh, to let everybody know that uh, we got a new series, speaking of the YouTube channel, called Hardcore Summer. Uh, that's going to be happening all throughout June. If you uh, The botch cover, I know as of recording, the botch cover is out. But we got a ton of other cool stuff. Uh, at this point, the dead guy cover with Jacob Bannon, Steve Brodsky, and Billy Reimer, and, uh, like, and Tristan from Author and Punisher... That weird thing is out there. What a crazy that like like I can't believe that one. It sounds bananas. But yeah, if you are a fan of just like hardcore from the the late 90s to like early 2000s, like this is the series for you because it's all of these musicians covering each other, forming little super groups, paying tribute to like themselves <laughs> essentially. It's a lot of fun. I I'm excited about this series because I've never seen an, anything uh, like this. Uh, uh, not not to spoil, but I do know that I don't know what I, I I think I heard what it is, but I do know that you've also you've talked to Pierce from Soul Glow to be a part of this. Uh, yes, I talked, Pierce, <laughs> I talked to Pierce the other day. We caught up the other day, and he mentioned he was doing something with you guys, so that has me psyched too. Yeah, Pierce's choice for the band that he wanted to pay tribute to is chaotic. I forgot about that band. It is now I remember it, who it was. Yeah. Yeah. It is a it was it's definitely been the most fun to put together because we are taking like it is a band that is essentially two genres smooshed together and we're taking both genres and pushing them to their fullest. Awesome. And he his video like he got really artistic and weird with his so video. he filmed this thing already. He filmed this thing already. Um, he's all done. Amazing. Uh, yeah, we are. It's going to be that one's going to be weird. And then we are the last one uh, that's going to air at the end of the at least we're, we're going to keep doing these. Yeah. Uh, but interspersed with kind of like the more normal two minute yeah. stuff. But the hardcore covers are going to always exist. Uh, but the the final one for june is a big one so if you haven't uh so subscribe to the channel and keep your eye out for it because it's a doozy awesome yeah fuck yeah thanks thanks jordan And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jordan for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now. Head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to hear that. And uh, if you haven't subscribed to the show over on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to this, please do that. Leaving a positive rating review always helps. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. I'll see you next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Take care. Bye bye.